In our second reading, in Romans chapter 8, we hear St. Paul say something very strange to us. He says this, he says, All of creation is groaning, like a woman in labor pains. And we ourselves are groaning with creation. We who have had the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We groan for adoption and for the redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? It's strange that uh, St. Paul would borrow an image of like a woman in labor to try to, uh, um, uh, you know, help us to understand how we as humanity uh, ache or, or long for that redemption of our bodies and, and really to be fully who God created us to be, adopted sons and daughters of the Father. I think there's a story that helps us to understand this. It's a story that comes from the Desert Fathers. They were a movement within the church in this few centuries following Christ and the apostles, what's called the Apostolic Age. Um, Men and women went out into the deserts like of Egypt in order to find God. But then when they found God, so many others came out to them and they were able to show God and bring God to them. That's the Desert Fathers. And we have a lot of their writings still available to us today. So here's one of them. One of these Desert Fathers um, makes a decision to go on a pilgrimage from Egypt, the deserts of Egypt, out um, and up to uh, the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And as he's journeying alone, he encounters um, all the harsh elements, just the horribly hot days and uh, the terribly cold nights and the sandstorms and all kinds of other elements coming against him. About halfway through, he is literally exhausted and he comes upon an inn and he thinks to himself, I'm just going to go to this inn for one night to uh, get a meal and, uh, and recover my strength. So there he is at table eating a meager meal, and the innkeeper comes up to him and he says, where are you heading? He says, I'm a pilgrim, and I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And the innkeeper said, wow, that's a long way away, and you're in the desert and you're by yourself? How do you expect to get there? And the monk, without hesitation, said, oh, I've already put my heart there. I've already set my heart ahead of me over the years. This is something I've always wanted to do. I knew I needed to do. And so all I have to do now is let my body catch up with my heart. And the innkeeper thought that that was a strange way of responding and really didn't understand. And so he asked for clarification. The monk said, let me ask you a question. Do you have children? The innkeeper said, yeah, in fact, I have, with my wife, we have six children. He said, have you ever struggled um, in raising your children? Ever encountered difficulties or, or challenges in raising your children? And the innkeeper laughed. He said, with every child, you know. And when you think that you got it right and you know how to parent, along comes another child and they have to, you know, they, they want to be raised or then raised in a completely different way. He says, it's exhausting and sometimes I just want to give up. And the monk says, ah, but you don't give up, do you? Why? 
And the monk went on to say, the reason why is that long ago, you gave your heart to these children. You, you set your heart out in front of these children. Like, for instance, when your wife was pregnant, how many nights the two of you lie together and just wait with anticipation for the birth of your child and think and dream about that child and love that child before the child ever comes into the world. And then when the child comes into the world, feeding the child and holding the child and being with the child when the, the, when the child is sick, these are all ways in which you put your and pour your heart into that child as they're being raised from toddlers into young childhood and you teach them how to walk and, and how to talk and, and how to think and to dress themselves. All of these are just putting your heart out in front of your child and building up more and more of that love for the child so that when the child gets to that age where he or she starts presenting difficulties, you're still able to love that child. Because you've invested so much of your love. You put your heart out in the years preparing yourself for those drier desert years. And there's nothing that that child wouldn't, would do that would cause you not to love that child. He said, well, it's the same with me. A pilgrim on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He said, years ago, I thought about and dreamed about going to the Holy Land. And I prayed about it and I desired it and I've been anxious and, and, and waiting for it. I was always in, therefore putting my heart out there and placing it in the Holy Land. Now all I have to do is bring the rest of me there. So I'll get there because my heart is already there. I tell you this story from the Desert Fathers because I think it lends an insight into how God loves us and how we can love Him. And also, of course, it helps us to understand what's going on in Romans chapter 8. How does God love us? Well, God loves us, as we know, unconditionally. And we want to stop sometimes with this declaration. Well, He loves us Because he's love itself. He's the very nature of love. And so he cannot do anything else other than love us. And that is true, but that's not the whole story. God loves us also because long before you were ever created in time and space, this eternal God was thinking of you. Like from all of eternity, because he is eternal. And long before time and space itself was created, let alone you came into time and space, he had you in his eternal mind and in his heart. And he longed for and waited for that exact fullness of time when each one of you would be born. And he was there at the moment of your conception in the womb of your mother. He was there part of your creation. And he was there at the moment that your mom gave birth to you. He was there as you were learning to walk and to talk and starting to, through your mother and father and through your church, become aware of him and learn how to speak to him and to look for him. He was there. 
All across your life, up to this day, he has been there. Always, therefore, putting his heart, his mind, his hopes out long before you were created and as you were growing up until this very day. And he continues to do the same thing as he's prepared a place for you in a holy city, not Jerusalem, but in heaven. And he longs for the day. He anticipates, he groans for the day when you will join him. That's also why he loves you. It's not just that he is love, but he loves you. And there's nothing that you will ever do that will stop him from loving you. Nothing. When you forget him, like when things are going well and you don't think you need him and you get distracted by all kinds of other things, he, he still loves you. When your things go south and you're angry because your life is not working out the way that you supposed it should work out, and you even look to him and blame him, why didn't you let this happen? Or why did you let this happen? Or why didn't you do this for me? Or why didn't you take this away? He still loves you, even though you don't get him, you don't understand him. And he loves you even when you sin. He continues to love you. Even when you go after other things other than him, he continues to love you. He'll never stop loving you. But here's the thing about all relationships. And we know this in our human-to-human relationships. For that love to be efficacious in our life, that is, for that love to save us, we have to be engaged in that love. I mean, we know this, like, in the deep love that we have with other people, right? There could be somebody in our life who we know, who we know really loves us, like a spouse or a parent or a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, right? A best friend. But that person can, like, love us like no other person. But we know that we have to love that person back. And here's the thing, that person can't force us to love him or her. And for that love to truly be transformative as all love can be, we have to not just accept the love and then let the lover do all the work and we just take the lover for granted. We have to love in return. And when we love like that, two people, man, what a relationship that is. It is life itself, right? Now take that to the nth degree in our relationship with God and the human-to-God relationship. God can't force us to love him. And his love truly is more than any other human love transformative and it's the only love in all of existence that can actually save us. But his love will never save us unless we also love him. How do we do that? Well, like being here on a Sunday morning, And having this great privilege, this great opportunity of being able to be in union with him in the Holy Eucharist. 
to be in holy union, to be in holy communion with Him, where He actually comes into our bodies and dwells inside of us. That's an intimacy with Him that we will not experience with any other human person in all of our lifespan. A closeness that we will never know, that we know and can know every time we come into this church and receive in the Eucharist, it is an opportunity to love Him more, to place ourselves in Him and Him in us, to give Him our heart, to set our hearts upon Him when we pray to Him. And whatever it is that we're praying for, where we call out to Him and we have need of Him, whatever it is that we're praying, always that prayer is, help me to love you more. I want to love you more. And off we go with all the other ways in which we pray. Or when we praise Him, or when we adore Him, or when we give Him thanks. These are all occasions in which we place our minds upon Him. We think back across our lives and all the ways He's manifested His love to us. And then we project that forward to the time in which we will finally be with Him in the holy city. Not Jerusalem, but the holy city of heaven. And all these occasions are occasions where we grow our love for Him. And our hearts get set upon Him. And we long for Him and look for Him. And we, we anticipate Him like a woman who's about ready to give birth to her child. And knows that sometimes, all the time, that's going to be difficult. And yet, she knows one day she's going to hold that child in her hands and all things will be well. And when we love like that, then no matter what happens to us in our lives, we will continue to love Him. Like when things go south for us, we will continue to love Him. When things are doing really well and we're tempted to forget of Him, we won't forget Him because our hearts are set upon Him. When we have a person in our life that breaks our hearts, our hearts will not be broken entirely because our hearts are given first and foremost and more fully to God than to that person. And the list goes on and on of all of the circumstances in our lives where whether they're good or they're bad or for rich or for poor and sickness and health and good times and in bad, we will love God. And that love will not be taken away and we will not take it away. I think that's something of what St. Paul was trying to communicate to us in our second reading from the 8th chapter of Romans, when he says this, all of creation is groaning like a woman in labor pains, and we ourselves are groaning with creation. We who have received the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God's love, and the more we live that day in and day out, then the more we pine for adoption. That moment when we fully become the persons we were always meant to be and fully realize and actualize in the life of heaven. And the more, too, we long for the redemption of even our bodies. 
when we allow God to love us in this way, and we respond with that love, then we will remember, like that monk, that we're on a pilgrimage. And that this world is not our own. Even with all the elements that come against us. And we have already put our heart into heaven. And so no matter what we encounter along our pilgrim way, we know one day our bodies will catch up with where our hearts are.